Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. If you're there, say I'm there. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Amen. Another, another example today of what can happen when we have dinner with Jesus. Why don't you find two or three people and give them a high five. See, I'm so glad you're here today. The meal that we are going to examine and learn from today comes on the heels of some interesting happenings with Jesus and others. Just recently, he had encountered a centurion. The Bible tells us just a little bit before this, a centurion, a soldier who commanded a hundred men. 
The centurion's servant, the Bible declares, is sick nigh unto death. And so he sends for Jesus, but he teaches us a great lesson about spiritual authority. He declares that Jesus doesn't even need to come to his house. Not because the centurion is too prideful for Jesus to come or too ashamed for Jesus to come. Not because of this, but because he says Jesus has authority. And the authority that Jesus has is enough to just speak a word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus does this. And the Bible declares that Jesus says of the centurion Roman soldier that Jesus says, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. After calling a centurion a person of great faith, Jesus encounters a funeral possession. And in this funeral possession is the body of the only remaining son of a widow woman. He is moved with compassion and he tells the woman to weep not, proceeds to raise the boy from the dead in front of a large group of mourners from the city, then simply continues his way, leaving the city people standing in awe. Next comes some disciples of John the Baptist. This, the early believer, if you will, of Jesus, the forerunner of Christ, as he is called, the man now that is currently imprisoned for his faith. John the Baptist, yet we read something peculiar in Luke 7 and 19. And John the Baptist, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Jesus, as we have just seen, and there were many chapters previous telling this as well, Jesus is going about doing great work. He is actively reaching people on every level that he can reach them on. He is interacting with the soldiers. He's interacting with the mourners. He's interacting with the people of the city. He's interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's interacting with everybody that he can get to listen to what he is saying, every class and every group from all over the region. And faith is rising everywhere that Jesus goes. Faith is rising. There are those who believe and those who don't believe, yet faith is rising and people are beginning to realize that there is something more to this Jesus. They're seeing things they've never seen before, hearing things they've never heard before. He speaks as one who has an authority like they have never heard anybody speak before and they are enticed by him. They are beginning to throng him everywhere he goes. And now it is an interesting thing to see that John the Baptist, who is the one that says, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the one who says there's one that cometh after me, and he's the one that you really want to gonna get connected to. Now that same John, this one who was the first of believers, if you will, sits in a prison cell, and he's asking the question, is this even the right person? Is this who we're supposed to be looking for, or should we find another? Jesus responds, he tells the disciples of John to go back and tell him, and Jesus answering said unto them in 22 and 23 of Luke 7, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, 
the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And, everybody say and. And, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. The miracle worker is doing miracles everywhere, literally raising people from the dead. But Jesus has not miraculously delivered John from the prison he is in. He's opening blind eyes. He's clearing up leprosy. He's raising people out of caskets. And John still sets in a prison cell. Deaf ears are being opened and five thousand are being fed miraculously and John still sits in a prison cell. Jesus is going to dinner with Pharisees, but he's not coming to deliver John from his prison cell. And John is struggling with a very human emotion that can affect our faith even today. Why is God blessing and helping everyone else but me? Why is God doing for them but not doing for me? Why is he answering their prayers but not mine? Why is he delivering them but not delivering me? And it leads him to a challenge of his faith. Should we look for another? Jesus knows, though, the real problem that John is having. And so he addresses the real problem after stating that the lame are walking and the blind are seeing and the deaf are hearing and the lepers are cleansed and the gospel is being preached. He says, but make sure you also tell John, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Don't turn on Jesus because he hasn't seemingly helped you lately. Don't lose your faith because you're still in your problem. Don't get offended at Jesus because he didn't do it the way you thought he should do it. The message is still true. The miracles are still happening. Things are still changing in a powerful way. And the worst thing you can do is allow yourself to get offended and bitter. I need somebody to hear me tonight before the Lord will let me get into this dinner and the alabaster box. I got to preach to somebody that says you better open up your heart and you better lift your eyes towards heaven. And if you're wallowing around in bitterness and offense, you better find forgiveness. Whether receive it or give it, do whatever you got to do but don't turn your heart against the one who rose you in the first place. Don't forget the one who found you when you were nothing. Don't give up on the God who reached down into your pit and drug you out of that darkness and set you upon a rock. He's still Jesus. He's still the miracle worker. He's still the problem solver. You may not be too happy with him right now, but don't you walk away from him. He's still the only way to heaven. He's still the only way to eternity. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus goes on to publicly applaud John the Baptist and say how great of a man he was. For anyone that would listen... The Bible says that some of the Pharisees that were there that day, though, rejected the council. So Jesus compares them to children playing in the street. And he says, you're like children. Some of you want to play. This group wants to play, and that group refuses to play. And then that group wants to play. This group refuses to play. 
He's like, it's like children playing in the street. What he's really pointing out is he's like, you don't like John for what he did, and you don't like me for what I'm doing. John was too abrasive. John was too much of a recluse. John was the guy that just kind of walked out of the woods and preached repentance and then walked back in the woods, and they didn't like him for that. Then Jesus comes along, and he's loving and kind. He wants to come right into your home, and he wants to be all these things, and they didn't like him for that. They didn't listen to learn when Jesus spoke. They only listened to criticize and with no heart willing to change their ways. And this is why, speaking of Pharisees, these children playing in the streets that didn't like John and didn't like Jesus, this is why, once again, the next activity of Jesus is so odd. Because we read in Luke 7, 36, and one of these Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. The same people Jesus was just calling out for their stubbornness and their pride. The same people Jesus was just chastising and rebuking openly for their behavior. One of them says, hey, by the way, Jesus, will you come to my house for dinner? And he says, yes. Sure, I will. Sure, I'll come. He accepts an invitation to his own to eat at his table. Now, this story is a lot of things, and we'll get into some of them today. But for sure, it is illustrative of the grace of God. For sure, it is illustrated of the grace of the Almighty. This man is not uh, repentant. He is not forgiven. He has poor motives. We see as the story unfolds uh, that he is not truly wanting Jesus to come to his table. He has not welcomed him the way he should have, treated him the way that he should have. He is not there uh, for Jesus to help him in any form or fashion, and yet uh, Jesus still comes to dinner because Jesus says, I'm on a mission to reach everybody that I can. I'm going everywhere, talking to everybody, doing whatever I need to do. If I could just get one more person to listen to what I have to say. Oh, I'm thankful for the grace of God on this Sunday morning. I said, I'm thankful for the grace of God that came walking in here to have dinner with us today, even though there may be some in the house that say, I don't want to hear what he has to say. I didn't want to be a part of this. And yet here he is once again, sitting amongst us in this this very room with his arms of grace and mercy open wide. Why? Because he's trying to reach one more. Amen. Trying to reach one more. Hoping that maybe someone will listen this time. Hoping that maybe if he says it again, if he shows it again, maybe this time they'll respond. But a bigger point is about to be made. In verse 37, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster box of ointment. The Pharisees, as a group, formed the largest and most influential religious slash political party in the New Testament times. They are consistently depicted in the Gospels as antagonists or opponents of Jesus Christ and the early Christians. The name Pharisee actually means separated one. 
The Pharisees separated themselves from society to study and to teach the law. But the problem was they also separated themselves from the common people because they considered them to be religiously unclean. They had taken it to the place to where they were just too good. They knew more than everyone else knew. They were better than everyone else. And they couldn't dare interact with the unclean people. They believed that no one knew the law better than them. Yet they missed the Messiah when he was standing right in front of them. They had great use for the law, but no use for the lawgiver. One of their main problems with Jesus was that he did temple stuff around tables. Man, it bothered them. It bothered them that he would do things that they thought were reserved for the temple, that the law said could only happen in the temple. And Jesus would do them sitting at a dinner table, walking down the street, standing in the courtyard. Jesus did temple things around tables, things that they didn't think he should be doing. This woman, given no name but called a sinner, must have been actively looking for Jesus and found him there. And so this is the picture that is being presented to us. A religious man who is not looking for Jesus. A sinner who is looking for Jesus. She comes with this alabaster box. It's a type of stone that they would carve and they would make uh, uh, things out of. And sometimes they would make vessels out of it. And hers specifically held an ointment or a perfumed oil. Now there's a lot to be said about that and I can't go into all that today. The value of it, the reason why she has it, the way she uses it. But the Bible tells us in verse 38, and, and she stood at his feet behind him Weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. I don't know how many times I've read that, but it struck me this week when I read and stood at his feet behind him. I wasn't sure how you pull that off, stand at someone's feet. But then I remembered that at dinner they would have been in a more reclined position than what we are accustomed to. The way they would eat dinner was oftentimes more reclined even with their feet up, so to speak. So she stands as his feet are up on the lounge type situation there. She stands at his feet behind him. She positions herself in a very non-intrusive position of humbleness. Of humility. She proceeds to wash his feet. It's interesting to me, and I won't take long with this, but it's interesting to me her reaction to the moment. Because she brings no towel, she brings nothing. It's almost as if she wasn't expecting to break down in tears. 
It's almost as if she wasn't expecting it. The Bible says that as she's there and as she's, she's, she's honoring him, it's, a, it, it, it's, a, it's an honor, it's a worship, it's a, it's a humility that she is doing involving his feet and she's kissing his feet and she's got this ointment. That's what she came on purpose with, but she didn't come with a towel. She wasn't expecting, amen, that when she got into that moment that she was gonna be so overcome that she didn't care that there was a Pharisee sitting there. She didn't care who else was around. She didn't care that everyone knew she was a sinner. The tears just started flowing out of her eyes and she couldn't help it. And the only thing she could do was grab her hair and wipe the tears off of his feet because she was so honored and so moved and so humble. The kindness of Jesus that he would even allow her into the room. The people are watching. Sure, there's an embarrassment level. Sure, there's a worry. There's a concern. But I wouldn't say it's any more than any Sunday morning in the house of God. When people walk into a room filled to this capacity like this, at some point you're going to have to get to the place where you say, I don't care who sees me. I don't care what they think. I don't care what I look like. And I've just come to worship the Lord. I've come to pour out my praise upon him. I've come to love him. Oh, hallelujah. So she proceeds to wash his feet. It may seem, seem a little bit strange, but notice what he says later. Let's just jump for a second a few verses to verse 44. When he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I, I entered into thine house and now gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. It was very much the custom of the day to provide water for the feet of those that would come into your home. It was much the custom because of the life that they lived, because of the type of footwear that they wore, because of the state of the streets that they walked in, because of the climate that they lived in. It was custom for them to provide water for the feet. Amen. But he didn't do that. Simon the Pharisee had no intention of honoring Jesus even in the traditional ways. He was too proud to wash the feet of Jesus or give him a welcoming kiss. She is simply doing that which Simon should have already done. She is simply doing that which somebody had should taken care of. Before he even walked, before he even got past the opening of the door. But I'll remind us today, before we get too haughty about Simon and we get too all uh, all uppity and religious about Simon and his his ignorance to the situation, that the disciples, having been with Jesus for quite a while, right up to the very end, when they were gathered together for that last supper, they allowed everybody to come into the room without anybody washing their feet, and it was Jesus Himself that had to pick up the towel and the wash basin and wash the feet of all the disciples that were there that day. There is something about this pride that can get a hold of religious people. There is something about this pride that can get a hold of religious people who have worked hard and learned hard and studied hard and sacrificed much. Yet something happens inside of them 
where suddenly now they're so prideful that they can't even do the most courteous and kind. In fact, they don't even want to be around those. When Jesus calls us to a separation from the world, it is not a separation from the sinner. Most of the time in Scripture, when you read that, that, that term world, it's talking about a system opposed to God. And when he is saying you need to be separate from the world, he's saying you need to disconnect your from your things from things that are against God, that are not righteous, that things that are that are against what God is trying to do. But God never tried to disconnect from the sinner. So we cannot call it righteousness if we disconnect from sinners because he never did that. We cannot say we're just following in his illustrative footsteps because he never did that. He never disconnected from the sinner. And any person that gets so religious that they can't be around sinners has crossed the line that they need to repent for and they need to get back in an altar and they need to cry out to God again and say, Jesus, help me that I might have compassion, that I might have mercy, that I might love. Because this pride that can get a hold of religious people I want you to hear me today. I'm not preaching against religious people. Jesus never, he, he did not condemn the law of the Pharisees. He didn't condemn the law. He condemned the way they used the law. But this pride that can get a hold of religious people sometimes is damning and destructive. And we would do, good, do ourselves good to remain humble. We would do ourselves good to remain the woman standing behind with the tears flowing in the alabaster box and not the Pharisee sitting at the table questioning why she's even in the room and trying to find Jesus and get him tripped up somehow and trying to confuse him somehow. We would do ourselves better if we would position ourselves with humility. Simon is taken back and watching her. He says within himself. Now, this is not an uncommon thing when we uh, see the Pharisees and some of them, the Sadducees, some of those people, the high priests, when they're around Jesus. It's not an uncommon thing to read this phrase within themselves or within himself or within. It means that they were thinking it. They just weren't going to say it. It means that they didn't want to say it because, you know, he had, they, had, they had tried that and it had backfired on them. Every time they opened their mouth, he responded with things that, that really put them in a corner. He turned the tables on them. And so they got to the place where you read oftentimes in the New Testament where they would say it within themselves. Can I point out to someone here today that the loudest voice of the prideful is most often heard in their own heart. The loudest voice of the prideful is not always heard by everyone else. It's heard by you. It's in your head. 
You may have gotten uh, smart enough to quit saying it out loud. You may have gotten smart enough uh, to quit trying to put people into a corner with your stuff, but you're still saying it inside. That's the loudest voice of the prideful. I'm preaching to someone today that that voice matters. I said that voice matters. Amen. The Bible teaches us that it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaketh. The Bible is letting us know that that which comes out of our mouth originates in our heart, and it is letting us know that God knows it when it's in our heart and not just when it comes out of our mouth. So my job is not to present myself as a humble person. My job is to be a humble person. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake with him himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. This is what he says within himself. Within himself, he points out, he condemns Jesus. There's no way this guy's a prophet, and he would know that she's nothing but a sinner. Simon knows she's a sinner. She knows she's a sinner. Everybody knows she's a sinner. I want you to hear me today. It's no great prophetic thing to point out open sin. It's not some great prophetic thing to point out what's wrong with people when they know what's wrong with them and everybody knows what's wrong with them. It's not some great prophetic thing. You're not some great insight. You're not some great spiritually deep person because you can point out what everyone else in the world can see, but Jesus knows that she is capable of being more than a sinner. Oh, hallelujah. He says he's not a prophet. If he was a prophet, he would know she was a sinner. And Jesus is over there. I know she's a sinner. You know she's a sinner. She knows she's a sinner. But I know something you don't know, Simon. I know she's possible. Oh, hallelujah. I know it's possible for her to be more than a sinner. I know that everything she's done up to this point doesn't have to dictate what happens today. And it doesn't have to dictate what happens tomorrow. She can be more. Jesus still sitting at Simon's table to meet, still sitting reclined there at the table of the Pharisee begins to call him out at his own table. Oh, that's a tough day. That's a tough day. When, you, when you're so proud that you got Jesus sitting at your table and then he decides, you know what? I got something to say to you, Simon. I have somewhat to say unto thee, he says. And he says, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. He forgave them both. One owed 500, one owed 50, but the, the, the one who was owed just forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? And Simon answered, I suppose that he to whom was forgiven the most. And he said to him, thou hast rightly judged. Yes. Yes. The one who's been forgiven the most will love. 
love him most. And then he turns to the woman and he says unto Simon, seest thou this woman? Look, notice how he turns and he puts his eyes upon her. But he's still speaking to Simon. He's drawing everyone's attention to her. But he's speaking to them. Seest thou this woman? I entered into your house. And you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she washed my feet with tears. Wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou did not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now there is something that we have to grasp about what he is saying here. Because the Bible speaks that all sin, all sin ends up in eternal damnation. There is no such thing, really, as little sins and big sins. So what does he mean by forgiven little, love little, forgiven much, love much? Is the point that he's trying to make simply that, Simon, you know you're a sinner too, and everybody doesn't know it. Everybody doesn't know you're a sinner, and you would never admit that you're a sinner. You have spent a lot of your life studying the law, and you, 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 you know it very well. And you could be very useful, and you can help people to understand things. But the problem is, is that you don't see yourself as being, as being forgiven of much. And because you don't see yourself as being forgiven as much, you have a love problem. Oh, hallelujah. And is this really about loving God? Or is it about loving people? Is it about loving God or is it about the ability to love others? Do I struggle? Do I have a love problem if I don't think I've been forgiven? I, I know I'm not as bad a sinner as they are. And I've been forgiven of some, but I've only been forgiven a little. They've had to be forgiven of a lot. Well, if it's about loving people, then we have a love problem. And if it's about loving God, then we have a love problem. Either way, we have a problem. If our ability to love God and love people is hindered by our view of ourselves. The story is simple and to the point. She decided to put just as much passion into her love for Jesus as she had put into her life of sin. 
she decided to show up and put just as much passion and as much energy and as much as she had given to a sinful life, she was going to put that into the love that she had for Jesus. As much as she lived sinful unashamedly of her sins for a while, now she was going to live unashamedly for Jesus. Is there anybody in the house today that would say, I was once a sinner and I lived unashamedly in my sin, but now, hallelujah, that I've come to Jesus. I'm not going to hold back now. I'm not going to lay down now. I'm going to live unashamedly for Jesus as well. I'm going to put just as much energy and time and activity into loving Jesus. She decided to do that, and she was humble, and she was unassuming, and she gave the best that she had, and she was unashamed to weep in front of everyone in the room. She recognized in Jesus a hope for her own life, and she was desperate. She did whatever she had to do to get close and to show love to him. Romans chapter 5 and 8 tells us, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. And how? How does a sinner overcome all uh, the very real fears that they have this moment with Jesus? How does she overcome the very real fears to walk into that room? Amen. That table of the Pharisee in that house where Jesus is. First John 4 tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We We love him because he first loved us. There's a reason why people are going to step out of their row here in a little while and come up here and cry out to Jesus and tears are going to roll down their face and they're going to worship the Lord and they're going to seek repentance. The reason why they can do that without fear in this church on this Sunday morning is because there is no fear, hallelujah, in perfect love because Jesus is here. We love him. Not because we're so special, but because he first loved us. She could sense, she could sense what the Pharisees were missing. It was love that had Jesus at Simon's table. He didn't have to be within proximity of Simon to know that he was prideful and arrogant and that this invitation to dinner was not from a pure heart. He didn't have to get within 10 feet of Simon to be able to read his heart. He knew that the whole time, but it was love that brought him to Simon's table. And it's love that has Jesus sitting with us in this place right now. Simon couldn't see the love because he didn't think he needed the love. But those who knew themselves to be sinners, they could feel the love. He wanted, they wanted to get closer to Jesus. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven, he says to this unnamed woman in Simon's house. And once again, once again, Jesus is doing temple things at dinner tables. Forgiving sin? Who does he think he is? 
There's a way to forgive sin. The law tells us how to deal with the forgiveness of sin. The Pharisees knew all of the laws about what they were supposed to do, the sacrifices that were supposed to be offered, the way they were supposed to be offered, the time they were supposed to be offered, what the sacrifice was, and who had to be in charge of the sacrifice. They knew all of the laws about how you could find forgiveness. And here Jesus is saying he forgives sin sitting at a dinner table. get mad at him because he keeps doing temple things and he's nowhere near the temple and he's not supposed to be the right person to do it and it's not the right day and they don't have the right sacrifice he does it anyway and of course they say within themselves again who is who is this that forgiveth sins also who does he think he is What does he think he's doing? He's not obeying the law. Why is he not obeying the law? This is not right. And once again, knowing the prideful questioning of their heart, Jesus says out loud, and he said to the woman, thy faith, thy faith, oh, he doesn't say the law, He says, thy faith. Once again, he doesn't ever condemn the law, but she could see who he was. And they couldn't see who he was. She was doing it right. They just couldn't understand it. He says, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Thy faith has saved thee. Shalom. which means wholeness and health and permanent peace. Ha <laughs> I'm so told almost. The faith did this. The faith that caused you to walk into this house did this. The faith that has you standing there with your alabaster box did this. The faith that has you saying, I don't know what, I'm just doing this because I feel drawn to this Jesus. There's something about the love that he has and I'm drawn to it. Thy faith has saved thee. Now go in peace. So many times in the sacrifices of the Old Testament law, so many times there was a, a there was a declaration of peace after the sacrifice was made. There was a declaration of shalom after the sacrifice was it was it was a statement of acceptance that now you could go and know that everything's been taken care of. You can go and know that it's been dealt with. You can walk out of here now different than you walked in. Oh hallelujah. And I'm telling somebody in this house today that we've been invited to sit at the dinner table with Jesus again on this Sunday morning. Stand with me if you would, please. We've invited to stand at the dinner table with Jesus, to sit at the dinner table with Jesus again on this Sunday morning. And you can come in just as you are. And you can walk in just as you are. And those that will be able and willing to acknowledge, I am a sinner. can walk out with peace you see this is what the Pharisees were missing 
even with the dinner, even with Jesus at their table, because their way of living struggled with having peace. They didn't have peace within themselves. They didn't have peace with others. They didn't even have peace with other Pharisees. There were even groups of Pharisees that would not worship together because they couldn't get along. They didn't have peace. Her faith was what connected her to Christ because she was seeing the Prince of Peace. She was looking at the Prince of Peace. It was not the law that led people to love. It was love that led people to the law. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Would you begin to talk to the Lord right now in this place? Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.